Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland Area Attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. This week's show is sponsored by Can't Quit Food. You can quit a lot, but you can't quit food. And who'd want to, right? Whether you're trying to lose weight, looking to feel better, or you just like some healthy, simple menu options, Can't Quit Food's got you covered. At can'tquitfood.com, you'll get recipes and tips from someone who's lost 150 pounds and kept it off for 15 years after giving up fad diets and exercise plans and finding a smarter, more sustainable way of life. And just for Politics Guys listeners, if you go to can'tquitfood.com slash politicsguys, you'll get exclusive access to an awesome peanut butter cup smoothie recipe. I've tried this thing myself, and I can tell you it's seriously good stuff. Again, that address is can'tquitfood.com slash politicsguys. Our top story this week is Donald Trump's travels, first to Mexico, of all places, where he seemed almost, and it pains me to say this, statesmanlike, or at least subdued, during his visit with Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto. But then, at a rally in Phoenix, Trump returned to decidedly unstatesmanlike form, taking his typical hard line on illegal immigration and saying once again that Mexico will pay for his big, beautiful border wall, even if they don't know it yet. Now, in a particularly, well, at least what I found, a particularly crass and exploitative move, he also introduced a number of what he called angel moms, mothers who've had a child murdered by an illegal immigrant, uh, classy Donald. Later in the week, Trump spoke at a black church in Detroit where he said, and I kid you not, our nation is too divided. We talk past each other and not to each other. Wow. So what did you think of Trump's week, Jay? This this has been probably the best week Donald Trump has had, um, certainly since the convention and and maybe best week uh, of of his campaign. Um, I I would agree with you that – he he played the Mexican um, invitation really pretty well. Um, anytime you're standing next to a foreign leader, it's going to increase your uh, the image that you are a a yeah a statesman uh, or or at least a a serious person. Um, gosh, if you or I were if you or me were to, to, to you know have an audience and speech with the president of Mexico, I you know I'd certainly think higher of you. Um, <laughs> Or the, the president of anywhere, but uh, you know, yeah, I think that's that's something. Now, um, then you're right. He's then sort of goofed it up by, and this is sort of just everything that that's the Donald Trump pattern is is something will happen and you'll you'll start to think, wow, all right, maybe maybe this is it, this is the the pivot to normalcy, um, and then there's something uh, goofy. There will be um, no pivot. Yeah, I think. Uh, so. So on the the uh, immigration speech, the angel moms. I, I again, I here you know from a conservative standpoint. Uh, well, let me back this up. From a personal standpoint, yes, I think it's absolutely crass and uh, exploitative and so forth. All the things you said, uh, and that's why it bothers me so much when liberals do it, uh, and sure. they tend to do it a lot more. Um, 
So I, I, it's it's one of those. I think it's crass and horrible. But, I think I think the difference. Yeah, you're right. I think the difference is that Trump is just generally over the top with pretty much everything, and so that's probably why it bothered me more when it's done. Typically, by both sides, it's done with a slightly more. There's more subtlety. Yes, when the, when exactly. the Democrats do it. Donald yeah. Trump is uh, uh, is certainly not subtle. It's not anything anyone's accused him of ever. Yeah. Uh, and that's not to say even if it's done subtly, I still, still think it's, no, it's still wrong, from yeah. the other side. But but you're right. It's it's just the in the presentation. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and the latest polls, of course, have the race tightening, which uh, you would expect, you know. And I saw a number of headlines this week, ridiculous, sensationalistic headlines. My favorite is one from a site that I normally feel is pretty calm and reasonable 538.com i love this one Mm -hmm. it's as the race tightens don't assume the electoral college will save clinton i mean come on i mean sure the race is tightening but you know anyone who expected trump to go into a three-month free fall was was totally dreaming that just was not going to happen and to me this is not a big deal. These races do tend to tighten. You know, Donald Trump wasn't going to keep on having bad week after bad week after bad week. I'm sure some people on the left were thinking, my God, this is going to be a disaster of epic proportions. It's going to be like a Reagan Mondale type of victory for Clinton. This could happen, you know. Well, I've the, thought of that. You know, but I just don't think that's possible uh, anymore. I mean, no matter how badly Donald Trump does, he's going to get, you know, a hundred and something close the 200 electoral votes. That's just how it is. You know, still current projections have Hillary Clinton with a healthy electoral college lead. Donald Trump still has a really difficult path to the 270 electoral votes he'll need. He has a much tougher path than either Mitt Romney or John McCain did the last two Republican nominees. So I think a lot of this is just the media trying to, you know, gin up more controversy and make this feel like a tighter thing than what it is. But it's just it, you know, and we talk a lot about. It. In fact, we've actually had some listeners saying, "Geez, are you going to keep on talking about the same old thing?" And I say, "Well, you know, yes and no." But I do think it's important to point out that a lot of what I've seen, at least what I've seen in the media in the last week, has kind of made me roll my eyes a little bit, at least more than usual. Well, you know, there. I think there is something though that's going on. I, I think, and I think, if you look at the eternals of of some of these polls, that you know, the extent they publish them. Um, about favorability and so forth, that that the tightening hasn't been uh, Trump improving; it's been Hillary uh, declining. Right, and I think we can talk about that when we talk about sort of the, the Hillary angle. Is that she had while while he had a a good week, uh, she had a bad week, and and um, uh, you know with the the release of the FBI trans or not transcripts, but the FBI notes, yeah. Um, so that's it. Now going back to, to Trump in Detroit, uh, you know, again, I, I, you know, Trump or not, I think it's a, a really good thing when there's a Republican candidate uh, out there reaching out to um, uh, minority communities. Absolutely. Uh, and I think what he said was was pretty spot on. And we've 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 said before of, of he can make the it's good to make the argument that. Listen, Democrat policies have have failed, um, and you you can you can do better. I mean, you can do it better than just the hey, what do you got to lose? Um, but I, I think there's a case to be made there, and he did a better job trying to make that case 
uh, here uh, in Detroit than he than he has in the past. Uh, like I said, does it does it sub you know substantially change his his position as far as the the black vote goes? Um, no, I I very much doubt it. Uh, does it make him perhaps more appealing to the, the white suburban uh, moms and so forth? Yeah, I think so. Um, well, yeah. Uh, again, again, by a large margin, no. It, it, it's not a game changer. But I, look, I think this is a a positive step. Um, it, it's a, a non crazy step, um, yeah, so that's, to speak. Yeah. which is a positive step for Trump. Yeah. You know, and and I think I think you're at least half right there. Uh, maybe even more than half right. You know, I would disagree, obviously, with the message that Democratic uh, policies have failed minorities. I would argue that Republican obstruction has failed minorities, but that's a, that's another argument, obviously. But I think that the place where you are correct is. Yeah, Democrats take minority Republican votes. Obstruction in the city of Detroit. I just had to throw that in there. But, sure, but. I understand. I would argue that there are federal policies and much bar- larger currents that affect that. But anyways, another discussion, and maybe maybe one we should have at some point in the not too distant future. But the point being is the point where you're correct. I think is that yeah, Democrats take minority votes for granted in many instances, just like I would say Republicans take, uh, in many cases, the evangelical votes for granted because the argument is, well, where are they going to go? They might stay home. And so you do a little bit of outreach and so forth, but really that's not where your focus is is going to be. And that's, you know, that's been true for a while. And and I think, you know, people have made the claim that, well, uh, Republicans, for instance, have uh, claimed to be concerned about the the needs and 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 the values of evangelical voters but when push comes to shove they haven't done a whole lot along Mm -hmm. those lines and certainly you can make that case although i don't know it's as strong of a case for democrats and minorities though to be fair that's sort of an argument i think that bernie sanders and some of the more kind of further left have made that hillary clinton is essentially you know a creature of the traditional uh center left kind of democrats uh, the mainstream establishment democrats who basically go along to get along and let wall street and the one percent sort of run roughshod over everyone so you know i mean there's there's i think there's something there too so so yeah now um you mentioned hillary clinton's rough week right uh you know, and, and I guess, yeah, it was sort of a rough week. Uh, the FBI released the notes from their interview with her. And, you know, to me, once again, it got a lot of – it got all sorts of people on the right worked up again for all the same reasons. But it, to me, there wasn't anything new. There weren't any smoking guns. She said, I don't recall a lot, which is pretty much what you say in those situations, left or right. Which is what she – no, but but again, it's, it's not a matter of um – uh, sort of the questions that were asked, and the you know, why did you set up the server? I don't recall. <laughs> sort of the, well, well, sure, um, that, it's, it's standard. This thing just showed up in the basement. Why do we have that there? I don't know. I mean, it just it, again, sure. it, it sort of defies belief. The hey, do you remember when you had your your security briefing and how to handle classified information? Yeah, it doesn't ring a bell. Well, well you know, I mean, it's just. Sure. If if you were if you were to become Secretary of State, wouldn't you think when you get like the the, the all the classified secret top secret stuff, that, that's part of like one of the coolest parts of the job, right? Uh, and you oh, don't yeah. remember? Well, um, let's back up. Let's back up. Let's say you have a client, and your client is being interviewed by the FBI, and you know that there's the possibility that your client might be indicted. Now. Would you advise your client to just be, you know, just talk a lot, give them some context, a lot of detail, be as forthcoming as possible, or, or 
I mean, of course you wouldn't, right? I, am no, I, am but, I right but here? You, but you do advise your client to, to be truthful. And to answer the questions that are asked. Well, yeah, and, and she did that. I mean, okay, that, you're right. Okay. The, I can't well, fair, fair enough. And I, but again, then that, that to me, I think the, the idea of that she doesn't remember why she's got this server in her basement, um, that's troubling in a presidential candidate. Well, of course. I mean, and of course she's uh, – If you take her at her word that she just doesn't remember any of this stuff. Well, sure. You know? She gave I, – I, I see what you're saying. And she gave obviously, you know – Legally understandable in the sense of, uh, you know, this is what you would advise your client to do. But from a public relations standpoint, you know, it, it's it's you know from an optics standpoint, it's not very good. And this, of course, is always you know this is one of my main problems with Hillary Clinton is the transparency issue, the defensiveness issue, and so forth. Though, but again, in this sense, I, I think it's uh, I think it's sort of understandable because. Especially in this climate, especially with someone who's been, you know, under attack for decades, uh, essentially by the right, you're going to be very careful about what you say. Say as little as possible, so your words can't be twisted to be used against you. So again, I, I don't approve of it, but I certainly understand her responses. And there's again, there's no, there's innuendo, but there's no smoking gun. There's a reason why the FBI decided sure. not to go ahead, and I think that's something that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle here. Sure, but but the again the point is is not so much. Uh, I'm, I wasn't talking about bad. She didn't necessarily have a bad bad week from a a um, criminal justice standpoint because that that ship has sailed. Right. She had a bad week politically. Right. Sure. And, and because of those those answers, uh, and and I I think it has shown in the polls. Like I said, it, it's been the tightening has been more a. Um, uh, a decline for Hillary than has been an upsurge yeah. for Trump. And I, I actually expect to see a little bit more of that, given given that we have, uh, as we've mentioned before on the show, we have the most unpopular ever candidate running against the second most unpopular ever candidate. I mean, there's right. a lot of negativity to go around. and uh, But in the end, uh, that's why I think people tend to right. get and a little too And the traditional wisdom up. is race is tight. And that's, yeah, yeah. That, that's what happens. It's not surprising – People need to stop freaking out about this. Is I guess well, my- I, I always agree with you on on media freakouts that you know that yeah. race tightens by you know whatever two points. That's not a a headline of uh, everything is is yeah. you know suddenly changed and so forth. You know, one thing that sort of surprised me, uh, sort of. Uh, uh, Dog bites man, Stuart, I guess you could call it, is uh, the New York Times uh, reported a big story uh, this week that uh, some uh, conservative Hispanics uh, were part of an advisor group for Trump, were shocked and dismayed that he used them as props and they expected him to, you know, after the Mexico visit, to pivot and be more, uh, you know, accommodating and so forth. And I thought, my God. You know, who, who, who are you dealing with? I, I almost felt like you kind of deserve what you get. If, if, you, if you're, you know, uh, if you're in this situation and you don't expect to be used as a prize, it, it blew my mind. It was kind of a ridiculous story. I thought, you know, that to me w- w- was really surprising. The other thing that was surprising to me this week really was that uh, the most sensationalistic headline of the week didn't come from Vox. You know, and, and that's kind of what I'm expected from them these days. But and I, I'm I'm hard on Vox, of course, a lot. But but I I I love them, of course. But that's maybe why I'm hard on them. Is you know I expect <laughs> a lot, and I get very disappointed at Ezra and Matt and the crew and so forth. But anyway, um, 
Before we move on to our next story, I wanted to mention we have a few new supporters this week that we'd like to thank. All right. Yeah, first we have Monica from Rockland, California, who writes, Michael and Jay, thank you so much for your insight into this crazy year. My husband and I are so glad we found your podcast. Oh, thank you, Monica. Yeah, that was that is nice. It's nice that the, the the husband and wife, the kind of family, listens together, that sort of thing. So maybe not together exactly, but I don't think people are kind of huddling around people their used computers. Used to listen to FDR's and, fireside chats. Yeah, we're, we're probably we're not quite that gathered level. around the exactly. You know, but our second generous supporter, uh, Melanie from New Orleans. Uh, Melanie writes, "I listen to quite a few podcasts, but yours has been my favorite." Yeah, I I love getting to hear new sides on political issues, especially during this contentious election season. I'm currently a social work graduate student, but I'll be sure to find a few dollars to donate again in the future. You guys do amazing work and deserve it. And that from a graduate student in social work, this is not somebody who's probably rolling in cash. So (laughs) it means even more. Thank you so much, Melanie. Also, I should mention Melanie asked us to give a shout out to her partner, Chelsea, who introduced her to the podcast. So thank you, Chelsea, for doing that. We really appreciate it. Um, now, if you're interested in supporting the show financially, you can do what Monica and Melanie did. Go to politicsguys.com and click on either the PayPal or Patreon donation links we've got up there. We, of course, would really appreciate it. We also have some special rewards for listeners and supporters. You can check those out by clicking on the listener rewards link on our site. And as always, it'd be a big help if you could spread the word, share and retweet our new show posts on Facebook and Twitter and leave reviews and ratings of the show on iTunes. Okay. You know, Washington, D.C.'s Georgetown University caused an uproar this week by announcing plans to atone for its slave-owning past by awarding preferential admission status to descendants of people the school enslaved, erecting a public memorial to the slaves who helped build the school, renaming two buildings, and creating an institute for the study of slavery. This is the first instance of any U.S. college or university taking such tangible steps to make reparations for slavery. What did you think about it, Jay? You know, you're going to be surprised, uh, but I, I'm, I think that's a positive move. I think that's really? a good thing. Really? Wow, you're yeah. right. I am surprised. No kidding. Well, and, and here's here's why. Um, first of all, you know, I really, I, I should say my – I sort of had my mind changed, opened sort of about a year or so ago um, uh, at, a, at a conference where the speaker and um, – uh, at some point, I, I really think, think we should have him as a guest, but talked about so much that the slavery is is really something we don't talk about. We don't acknowledge enough uh, in in our society. And I sort of went into this program thinking, oh, boy, it's going to be sort of the usual liberal claptrap, you know, reparations, yada, yada, yada. Um, but he really made a compelling case that that, you know, so much of our um, – the, the racial issues we have now, the, the, we, we tend to think that um, slavery was the result of racism. And he makes the case that no, it was really the other way around. Hmm. Okay. That, that racism in America uh, developed largely as sort of a rationalization of slavery. I see what you're saying. Sure. We had slavery to begin with and, and you know, it, it was so uh, in and of itself on its face, evil and in conflict with the values that, that we professed that sort of the way to resolve this cognitive dissonance, uh, dissonance was, was to sort of, uh, take on this either paternalistic, right. Uh, Slaves are or, less human than we are. So right. they, therefore and, and, it's, sure. you know, this is sort of, you know, the John C. Calhoun, uh, version that, 
you know, be, became really, you know, sort of a, a big rallying cry, I guess, throughout the, the South. But so anyway, I, I think to the extent we we look at actual history, and these are actual slaves who actually uh, assist in the building, and 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 yeah, there there ought to be um, recognition. And the other piece of this is Georgetown's a private university. Uh, they can do what they want. Uh, this is different than a just a racial preference program. Uh, and, and again, I think that's, that's something to me that's significant because um, you're directing the, the, uh, the aid, the reparations to people who are descendants of those who are actually harmed. And it, it's a one private party essentially – uh, apologizing and making reparations to to other private parties, um, so I, I'm I'm okay with this. Wow, well, um, that, that, I got to say, not only okay, I think it's I think it's I think it's good. Now, is this going to spread uh, to be sort of the broader everyone gets reparations? Uh, again, I, I have I have more difficulty with something like that, and, and we could have a really good show on 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 that. Um, just based on the sort of where do you draw the line as far as everyone's ancestors at some point um, were maltreated and, and how do you does, – does everyone get reparations from everyone else and so forth? And would, so I, yeah. I think that's, that's a whole different conversation. Definitely. Uh, but, but what Georgetown's doing for sort of atoning for some specific wrongs from which, for which they benefited, that's appropriate. Wow. Well, I got to say I, I'm, I'm – very, you're right. I'm surprised and impressed. But again, the, the, the listeners, this is one of the reasons I, I, I like Jay so much, even though we don't agree on some issues, is as he's open-minded and willing to be convinced by uh, strong uh, strong arguments. And I, I think we need more of that. Uh, I'm going to surprise you, I think, a little bit too, is I was highly critical of the move. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, and let me explain why. It, it Back when just I because I said the, the, the second <laughs> I'm trying ago, to get yeah it? make things a little more controversial. No, actually, uh, before I even knew what your stance would be, I was critical of it. And here's why: back when I was a conservative, uh, one of the things that really bugged me about liberals is this sort of "Hey, look at me! Look at how wonderful I am! Give me a moral gold star!" Preening. Yes, more as a great way to put it, moral preening. And to me, this seems like largely empty moral preening. The kind of the kind of reparations that were designed by some sort of university PR committee group that really mean nothing. I mean, what are we talking about? In, in you know, what we're talking about here is essentially giving you know, what's preferential admission status mean? Well, not a whole lot. As, as somebody pointed out in one of my Facebook groups, if you uh, if you draw a Venn diagram of the descendants of slaves who are otherwise more or less qualified to academically qualified to enter Georgetown and the, uh, uh, and the, uh, the people, sorry, I screwed that up. What I'm saying is basically that this isn't going to account for a whole lot because there probably aren't going to be too many descendants. It's a very limited group of Thank people you. that you're reaching out to Yeah, help. Yes. exactly. And the help that you're offering is limited. Exactly. And so here, yeah. what I'm, that's that slave sale in 18th. I get, I'm getting worked up over this issue because this really bugs me. Uh, that slave sale, 1838, uh, netted $115,000. If you invested that $115,000 at a fairly conservative 4% uh, rate mm-hmm. of interest, that would give the descendants uh, not quite $124 million. Now, 
I'm not saying that Georgetown should give the descendants of these slaves $124 million, though you could make a case. By the way, Georgetown has a $1.45 billion endowment. So what I'm saying is that if they wanted to make a gesture that really would be meaningful, that they really cared about the harm they did to, to these folks, they could have at least offered these folks full scholarships. Show me the money. It, no, you I know, get something that. I, that I was, get that. something Because this, this is what – what they're investing in is stuff that's going to make Georgetown look good. Ooh, look at Georgetown's Institute for the Study of Slavery. Look, they named buildings after former slaves. And that's exactly that. Like you said, that moral preening that really has no substance. Because why? If they offered scholarships to these to these descendants of slaves, well, that's not the kind of thing people can point to, like an institute or a building or a statue or something like that. And that's what really bugs me about this. I say if you're gonna if you're gonna stand up and try to atone, don't do it in such a lily-livered, meaningless kind of way and expect people to pat you on the back and say, oh, how wonderful you are. And that's why I hated this move. I think if you're going to do it, okay. do no, it or I, otherwise. No, I, I mean, I when I was responding to the question, I was think, responding more on the, the principle of it rather than the okay. specifics of, of what was being offered. Uh, but but you're right. It's sort of like the um, – you know, when you're you're a, a party in a class action lawsuit and, you know, the the damages are, are whatever, five hundred million and, and as as your you know, compensation, you get a coupon from whatever you know company yeah. it was for a dollar off your next purchase or something. Um it's it, it is a little like that and, and they probably could have done done more. Um I don't say but probably. Again, I, yeah. You know, I I look at it from this is a this is a private party doing something and, and if they want to do it uh, they can do it. I, regardless, I, I think the the idea of the linking payments and reparations to to actual slavery, actually actual people, I I think that's that's positive. Mm-hmm. And and maybe maybe the better the better way for me to to phrase this is I think it's a lot. I, I would rather see colleges and universities focusing on again things like study of slavery and these historical facts, and let's look how this develops. As opposed to the more general, um, uh, you know, black studies type type classes, uh, I, I you know I again I'll, I'll probably get in trouble for that, but uh, I, you know I'd rather look at, at the, the hard history of things because I think that's where we get we get our answers uh, as opposed to the more soft sure. sciences. Well, yeah, uh, that, I, I you know what I'm saying. I see what you're saying, and I think. Part of the problem, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong, but part of the problem with any kind of uh, ethnic or minority studies groups is that the message tends to be, well, segregated. There's a small self-selected exactly. group of people. And for, for this sort of message, if I understand correctly, for this sort of message to, to get out and be meaningful and make a difference in the world, we need to expose a broader audience to these things and the way – Unfortunately, in my view, some of these programs are set up is that they're not necessarily set up to kind of spread the word and to to raise awareness among groups that really need awareness raised. Yeah, I think that's sort of what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. Uh, what, what, no, what I guess maybe the, the best way to say, and, and a lot of people said this, black history is American history. Sure. And, and I don't know, again, people might be upset with, with, with me for saying that, but – uh, I prefer, and I think the better route for everyone is that we we stop breaking these things into into categories. 
uh, and we do just say, look, this is this is American history, and we all ought to know this. We're we're sort of all in this together, rather than breaking out as as uh, uh, you know, you know, uh, sure. uh, Native American history, Black history, women's history, those sorts of things. Now, again, for for purposes of organizing the classes, I suppose you got to you got to focus on something. Um, but uh, that's that's what I like about the study of slavery as opposed to the um, more general black studies. Well, I think you know part of the problem. That, We're going to get so much mail. On oh, this <laughs> well, I think part of the problem that some people see is that American history, as it's been uh, written and studied for an awfully long time now, is essentially uh, been written by white males for white males, and so a lot of these, you know. Uh, uh, Types of things like like black history or women's history are response to that to try exactly. to it was it was the response to just getting kind of getting your name in the book at some right. point. It's yeah. I mean to me it's a similar thing like and we've talked about this briefly in previous shows that white male privilege we don't see it because it's just so encompassing and though it's you know it's it's there everywhere and so it kind of fades into the background and so it's it's very difficult for us to see but that doesn't mean it isn't a real problem. Though that's again another issue, right? And sure. we, we might disagree on a little bit. Okay, um, moving on to another controversial issue. Not too long ago, San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick was in the news for his impressive playmaking on the field. Though lately, his play has been mediocre at best. But he's been in the news this week for not for his playmaking, but from the fallout from his refusal to stand during the national anthem during preseason games in protest of the treatment of minorities. Now, in his words, he says, I am not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. Now, Kaepernick is currently the 14th highest paid player in the league. He's got a six-year, $114 million contract, $61 million of that guaranteed, by the way. He later announced he'd be donating the first million dollars of his salary to organizations that help poor communities. So what are your thoughts, Jay, on what uh, Colin Kaepernick's been doing? Well, let, let me let me start by putting things in perspective, uh, and that is sure. I am a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan. And uh, last year, our quarterback uh, had, after numerous, after being suspended for uh, partying too much, missing team meetings, uh, went to Las Vegas in disguise in a goofy mustache and big glasses, uh, while tweeting, tweeting a picture of, of himself and his dog from the year before, saying that he's just home chilling with his dog. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's there's a part of me that that. Uh, uh, would say, look, I, I would take a, a principled sort of uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick moral preening uh, over over the nonsense that that we've had uh, for years and years. Um, no, I think it is. Look, I think it, it's moral preening, it, it, like much like you think the Georgetown thing is. Um, I, I think it's it shows a lack of respect. Um, uh, I think it's sort of a classless move. Um, but that said, I think the reaction against it has been a little silly too. I mean, burning his jersey and so forth. And um, Trump said something like "find another country" or something like that. Yeah, uh, you know. So to me, look, I, whether he he stands or or not uh, is largely a matter of of uh, his contract with the Forty ers and the NFL. 
and it, it, so far they've been of the position of he can do what he wants. So, uh, look, he's got a right to exercise his free speech by sitting down. Uh, I think it makes him look uh, like a classless doofus, uh, especially when he's getting paid that much money. And also wearing the the, the pig socks. Did you hear about that? I did. I saw the picture. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was uh, there was a picture of him that came up on. I saw it on Twitter of socks that had uh, uh, police and as or little pigs with police. Uh, police uh, hats on and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. And the, the uh, um, Fidel Castro t-shirt, um, which again is even, don't get me started there, but you know, so look, he's, he is a, essentially a, a, a liberal moral preening celebrity. Um, and that is sort of a, a, a dog bites man kind of story to me. Uh, I, I don't, I, I mean, to me, I guess that's, that's all there is needs to yeah. be said about. It. And well, I think, and I think maybe that's, the better way to respond to these things is is more with just sort of an eye roll and say, oh, there, you know, there it yeah. goes, rather than burning jerseys and and so forth. Well, to me, at, to me, there was a big part of that, at least when I first saw it. You know, kind of a similar reaction to yours is that uh, this is sort of a very sort of hey, look at me sort of move. That, but you know, I can also I, I agree with what he said. As to why he did it, I disagree with kind of the well, method. I, I don't. He, I don't doubt his his feelings may you know are, are probably sincere. I mean, yeah, he probably I, believes that. I think but, his I think his yeah. feelings are sincere, and I you know, of course I agree with him. But I think to me the problem is it, it's a huge. I see it as a huge wasted opportunity because when I heard about the million dollars, I thought, my God, this this could have been handled if he was willing to do that. For instance, let's say that. Uh, Let's say he did it this way. He said, uh, call it Colin Kaepernick's million dollar challenge. He announces, mm-hmm. he doesn't do the, the not standing thing. He announces the donation and he asks all of his fellow professional athletes in all the leagues, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, to match his donation, or if they're not making as much as he is, which most of them aren't, to donate, say, 5% of their salary. As I figured, he's donating just a little bit over 6% of his yearly salary. That could have raised millions and millions of dollars, done some real good, because athletes being very competitive and all that, I could have seen, you know, a lot of money being raised, a lot sure. of good being done. And and if he was going to donate that money anyway, I don't know if he was going to, but wow, <laughs> that would have been such a great opportunity. And I wish that professional athletes and just celebrities in general, before they do these things, and maybe it was a spur of the moment thing, I don't know, but I would urge them, if any of you are listening, you know, it's possible, uh, to think about what you're doing and to get some, solicit some outside advice as to the best and most effective way to do that because moral, moral preening in and of itself is not going to do anything. But if you have these strong, you know, stances you want to make, there's a way to do it in a productive way. And I wish, I, I wish he would have taken this opportunity to do that, unfortunately. But, you know, at least some good's going to come out of that million dollars is certainly going to be helpful. So I say, well, at least there's that, you know. Yeah. So, all right. Um, this week, I do not have an under-the-radar story. Not really exactly. It's kind of something I'm going to save, a little uh, preview of coming attractions. We're planning on doing a uh, – uh, NFL special week of the first week of the season sort of asked the politics guys very soon. So I'll kind of save it for them when I think it'll fit a little bit better. But uh, a non-political thought. I also do not have a non-political thought. But, Jay, I understand you have one this week. Well, I, I do. Something um, was uh, Wired magazine uh, posted 
uh, last week, uh, what it called an open letter to the internet. Um, oh, I hate open uh, letters. God, let me just let me just say for you, go on. <laughs> it is the, the laziest form of journalism, I think, is an open letter. But okay, go ahead. Sorry. Right. Well, and again, an open letter to the internet. Uh, <laughs> but but the 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 point was, um, in light of of the the nastiness that's out there, and Time Magazine recently, they've actually still published Time Magazine. It turns wow. out. Um, had a story about uh, internet trolls and so forth and just the nastiness that comes out. Um, you know, one of the more recent examples was this uh, actress who was uh, in the, the Ghostbusters reboot uh, was just savaged on, uh-huh. the, on, right. on Twitter and with just bizarre sorts of, of, of racial uh, rants. And yep. uh, again, to me, first of all, it's like, what, Ghostbusters? I mean, you're sort of. Um, this this bizarre reaction that that you see, and and you see it, um, you know, I I, I can I can tell you stories of sort of local uh, boards and so forth where uh, just crazy nasty uh, attack stuff uh, personally on on folks, and you know, I guess the, the the point is the First Amendment very much gives you the right to be uh, a jackass. Um, but it doesn't require it, and, and I think that's that's sometimes that's a point that's missed on people. And I, I don't know whether it's these people are probably always out there, um, sure. but now hey, now there's a, a a place where you can you know just type it in and publish it, and it goes worldwide automatically. Um, and before and think, these people would kick the dog or something like that, or, yeah, or whatever. You know, and and the um, you know back in the early days of the 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 internet, there were sort of various, you know, message boards and so forth and flaming was what it was called. And the communities of these, you know, message boards, and it was typically of, you know, someone said something, uh, you know, and the, again, these were sort of Kirk versus Picard debates a lot of times uh, just on the, the, the communities, but right. they sort of were self-policing. Uh, and I think with Twitter, Facebook, these big worldwide um, uh, uh, platforms, you don't have that same sort of community policing that, that maybe you did back in the, uh, you know, the mid nineties. Um, so I, you know, I don't know if there's any message there to, to be honest, but you, uh, people should, should take a look at the wired article and just sort of think about, uh, you know, just, just, just be cool, everybody. I mean, that's probably the best, the well, best way to, to put it. That's but. one of the problems with a radically open society. You know, the more open, uh, the more open you are, the more you kind of invite that sort of thing, you know. Of course, in a number of a number of online publications have uh, done away with their comment section for exactly that reason. They just became these cesspools, essentially, and I said it's just not worth our our time. This is not the sort of thing that you know people should be should be reading or looking at. And I, you know, I I know people who spend a lot of time in comment sections and so forth. You know, I've I've looked at them from time to time, but honestly, I feel like. You know, life is short, and I am not going to be wasting my time. You know, trying to make an argument against you know uh, some anonymous person who's typing in all caps. And sometimes I find myself drawn into that, even on. Well, even it's on not Facebook. even making arguments either. Again, it's ad hominem attacks yeah. on 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 people. Yeah. And, and I, I should point out, though, I mean, our and we're moving to our new segment, which is our viewer mail. We don't really see that that much. No. Um, so thank you to, to to our listeners and our people who write in. Uh, but really, I'd say most of the the email and the comments we get are um, uh, certainly 
respectful and sane. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and no, there was plenty of people who disagree with uh, you, know, you or me on one thing or another. Um, and quite honestly, we, you know, we, we encourage that. Definitely. Um, but it's, you know, we don't see the typically, yeah, <laughs> just, you know, and then the out, out, uh, uh, your, no. your, no one has ever sent take, us, uh, no one has ever it's, sent you us. Know, yeah. A lot of times it's, it's well thought out, well thought out criticism and we appreciate that. Absolutely. Oh, you know, you know and speaking of that, that was a very nice segue, Jay. We are introducing a new, at least I guess semi-regular feature on the show this week, listener mail. Um, and what we're going to try to do is every week that we have comments and that we're not running ridiculously long, uh, we'll, we'll try to feature one or two comments uh, along with our responses in cases where uh, responses are called for. So, Because we do try to respond. Uh, we, we respond to, to yep. the comment. Mike, more so than me, just because by the time I get to it, it's it's like a week later. But but yeah, we will respond if you send us, uh, you know, a message on Facebook or an email or something like that. Absolutely. So, starting things off this week is Braden from Chico, California, who writes, "I just listened to your podcast about libertarians. This is the Ask the Politics guys we did uh, about liber- who are the libertarians a few weeks ago. I'm a libertarian, and I think you can do mu- so much better, especially when it comes to explaining." Some have called libertarians classic liberals, classic being the 1776 kind of classic. Right. How, Amen. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm for that. How can you do a podcast on libertarians and not mention the Constitution one time? I'm not saying being be an expert on the situation, but this sort of touristy view has no substance. There were, there were a lot of misrep- rep- sorry, misrepresentations on this episode. Part crazy, part racist, part dorky, criminal loser party. Really? Libertarians are not isolationists. If you're into war hawks like John McCain or Obama, that's your preference. But your no-substance, authoritarian view of the world has put us where we are now, which no one likes. You sound like you could be smart guys, but this was a fail. Wow. First of all, thanks for the comments. Absolutely. Um, Here's my thought. First of all, we did start our our, – discussion of libertarians by talking about uh john stuart mill um and i think that's the starting yep. point we that's didn't talk about back. the constitution uh, uh specifically uh and maybe we should have uh, i think that is something libertarians are are big on they're a co- strong constitutionalist original intent this is what it says this is what it means and personally i i would define myself in many ways as sort of a, a classical liberal like uh like a writer points out um we say, we talk a lot about Edmund Burke, who would been would be another classical liberal uh, of the of, of that that stripe. Though not really um, a libertarian, right? Right. He because had, he, had he believed the, in tradition, conservative, and, traditional, exactly type thing. Um, but still, in term in terms of limited government and so forth. Yeah. Um, you know about the part. Uh, you know, in terms in terms of the the criminal, I I should apologize because I identified Lyndon Larouche as a candidate, and he was not. Of the Libertarian Party, although he identified himself often as as a libertarian, and I, I should say that that wasn't meant to uh, be an insult to any libertarians. It was meant to, I guess, indicate the difficulty in determining what what it means. That here's a guy who sort of claimed that mantle uh, for a while, and I don't I don't think he really really was one. Um, you know, I've I've got a lot of respect for for uh, libertarians from an intellectual standpoint. Uh, and we were trying to make that that case, and maybe we we didn't make it as well as we should have. Uh, so while I respect him very much from that that intellectual standpoint, also I got to look at the reality of the electoral uh, uh, standpoint. And and typically, it 
it's it's not good. Yeah, well, I think that was the point you were trying to make uh, when, when you were talking about what the libertarian convention looked like. Not so much that, well, look at these crazy people, but that that um, given that this is what was sort of focused on and given that third parties in general tend to draw less mainstream people, unfortunately, that makes it even harder for the general public to sort of come to understand that this is, in fact, a, a, a serious and view, a serious political philosophy that's, even if you don't agree with it, is well worth considering. Sure, sure. Um, what about the isolationist uh, issue that uh, that Braden mentions? You know, I don't know that we we ever – Called libertarians isolationist. Uh, I think there was certainly a, a drawback in the the idea of you know libertarians do not favor an interventionist foreign policy, uh, uh, but um, you know they're certainly not isolationist. And I would say most libertarians are very much free traders. Uh, so there, there's there, the engagement through trade right. with the rest of the world. Uh, there is the sense that America very much ought to limit its engagements to those where there's a clear national interest, not engaged in things like nation building. Yeah. And a lot of people can agree on that. I, I personally don't. I, I think the United States needs to be engaged uh, from a security standpoint uh, in many places around the world. But that's something reasonable people yeah. can disagree with. And fact, I, I don't think we tried to paint them as isolationists. Yeah. But and I think we've been pointed to someone like Rand Paul – um, well, I wonder if maybe we might have used the word and weren't uh, specific enough because certainly in terms of not being war hawks, that's definitely libertarians. But on the trade issue, you know, absolutely. Uh, so, so yeah, that might have just been a, a semantic sort of thing. So, all right. Um, any other thoughts on Braden's comments? No, but thank you, Braden. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, we appreciate keep it. Coming. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next, we have Jeremy from New York City. Jeremy writes, hey, Mike, quick question. I was wondering where you got your stat that the U.S. that U.S. defense spending as a percentage of GDP is only behind Israel, Russia and Saudi Arabia. And this was from the Mike for President episode of Ask right, the Politics I was wondering Guys. that too. OK, well, he said the number sounded fishy to me. So I looked it up on the World Bank website and here Jeremy thoughtfully included a link, which helped out a lot. He said, and of the countries they have data for, we are still not that close to the top. In fact, we're right at the same level as right around Singapore. And after reading Jeremy's comment, I double-checked, and he was absolutely right. The source I, re I referenced initially only included selected countries and not all countries, and I missed that little bit of fine print. When I went back and looked, the U.S. is actually number 20 in the world in defense spending as a percentage of GDP, right between Colombia and Morocco. So thank you, Jeremy, for catching that. And so if you have a question, a comment, if you think we're wrong on our facts or if our interpretation you disagree with and you want to just get your view out there, want us to respond, please definitely do send us an email at politicsguys at gmail.com or you can message us on the Facebook Politics Guys page. While we won't read every email on the air, we most definitely will personally respond to every listener email and Facebook message that we get. Awesome. All right. Okay, I think that uh, that about does it for this week. Should we, should we do a, a teaser of what's coming up for on Wednesday? Oh, we should definitely do that, Jay. I know you're you're particularly excited about that, and you have good reason to be. So, yeah, why don't you tell I, everyone? I am. Uh, this this Wednesday, we usually have our Ask the Politics Guys uh, midweek show. Uh, but this Wednesday, we've got an interview uh, that I conducted with uh, James Toronto of the Wall Street Journal editorial board. 
and uh, the author of the Wall Street Journal Best of the Web uh, column, which uh, or blog, I guess you'd probably call it, uh, which is something we we highly highly uh, uh, support and, and encourage. And he's also, it, it turns out, um, a, a hero in the early political correctness wars, wars uh, back in the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, and just a really uh, nice guy, fascinating person, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. I, it was a big privilege for me. I was sort of sort of a fanboy, you know, getting to interview a, uh, you know, I was a hero of mine. That sounds kind of weird and crazy, but but look, some a writer who uh, who I uh, hold no, in high esteem. Sure, yeah, and you know, I, I had a chance to listen to it. Uh, I thought it was a great interview. It was Jay's first interview for the show, and, and he's set the bar. Pretty pretty high for me now, so I'm a little worried. Much, but yeah. uh, no, not at all. It was great. So definitely uh, check that out. It will be coming out on Wednesday morning. All right, uh, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or questions for Ask the Politics Guys, we would love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail dot com. Our Facebook page where we post stuff throughout the week is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. If you're interested in helping us keep the show going, sharing and retweeting our new show posts and tweets and reviewing the show on iTunes really does help. And finally, if you'd like to support the show financially, you can do that through the PayPal or Patreon links on our website. While you're there, be sure to check out our listener rewards. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.